0: Gain liberation through Buddha recitation. Only through Buddha recitation can you transcend birth and death. Patriarch Ying Guang told us that in this Dharma ending age, only by steadfastly holding to the name of Amitabha Buddha can we successfully attain liberation. If you practice methods that are not suitable for this day and age, you have no chance of liberation. People who do not understand this underlying principle will not be easily convinced. These people feel that sole reliance on Buddha recitation is a complete disregard of everything that the Buddha taught in his lifetime. But this is not the case. One must realize that the Dharma goes through phases and evolves over time, just as a farmer must follow the seasons when planting his crops. For example, the climate in mainland China is extremely cold in the winter making it unsuitable for growing crops. Even if you plant seeds, nothing will grow. So timing is a factor. When it comes to the Buddha Dharma, there are three periods, the Orthodox Dharma age, the Dharma resemblance age, and the Dharma ending age. We are now in the Dharma ending age. Rather than talking about how other Dharma methods are better, you should be putting effort into Buddha recitation. Certainly, the other dharma methods are good, too, but not for this age. Take things in the everyday world. No matter how good they are, they must be suitable for the time. Once their time has passed, they become less useful. For example, light summer clothes feel cool and refreshing, but they are only good for summer. If you wear them on a cold winter day, you will freeze to death. On the other hand, leather jackets and insulated coats can keep you warm, but they are only good for winter. They would not be suitable for a blazing hot summer day. Who would insist on wearing them in the summer? Another example, ginseng, known for its potent properties is a sought after ingredient in Chinese medicine, but not everyone is strong enough to handle it. If a person with a cold takes some ginseng tea, his illness will get worse. Both secular and non-secular phenomena must accord with the times and they arise and cease according to causes and conditions. Cultivation methods, also known as Dharma doors, are part of the conventional truth. Therefore, their usefulness changes with the times and depends on causes and conditions. Be sure to understand this clearly. In this day and age, only the name Amitabha Buddha can free you from the cycle of birth and death. If you want to be reborn in the Western Pure Land and no longer experience the suffering of human life, you must have the right views and faith in this practice. Do not be swayed by others talking about how good or wonderful another method is. Just let them talk. We must practice Buddha recitation which has been described as follows. All Buddhist doctrines point to the Pure Land method. It is this path that all sages of the past and present pursued. Pay close attention. In this day and age, only by chanting Amitabha Buddha's name can you attain transcendence. Besides this method, there is no other method that will help you attain liberation. No matter how good some people say other methods are, just tell them, That is good. You go ahead and practice your methods. I will recite the name of Amitabha Buddha and firmly and single-mindedly hold to it. Everyone has their own goal and their own way of practicing Buddhism. Since our paths are different, we will go our separate ways. Please never again slander Buddha recitation as you would be slandering the Dharma. I often introduce the teachings of Patriarch Ying Guang. Why? It is because everything he said was based on the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha as expounded in sutras and treatises. For example, Patriarch Guang said, In this dharma-ending age, if you abandon the method of Buddha recitation, you cannot attain liberation and free yourself from the cycle of birth and death. This is in accordance with the Great Collection Sutra, in which Shakyamuni Buddha said, In the dharma-ending age, Hundreds of millions of people will practice Buddhism, but rarely will one attain enlightenment. Only through relying on Buddha recitation can one attain liberation from the cycle of birth and death. In this dharma-ending age, hundreds of millions of people practice other methods, but rarely will any of them succeed. Only through the method of Buddha recitation can one attain liberation. This is the simplest and most secure method for practice. You must fully believe in what the Buddha taught in the sutras. If you do not have genuine faith, then you are not a real disciple of the Buddha. This is especially true for monastic practitioners. They wear the clothing of the Tathagata and rely on the meritorious virtues and blessings of the Buddha for their livelihood. If they are not able to disseminate the Dharma, or if they lack faith in the Buddha's words, and even slander Buddha recitation, then they are no different from disciples of the devil. Do not be arrogant and fail to sincerely accept the words of the Buddha and the Patriarchs. The sacred name embodies the six paramitas. We often say the Dharma teachings are boundless. I vow to practice them all. We cannot just study one method. We must study them all. But you have to realize that Buddha recitation is the one method that is all-inclusive. It contains all the infinite methods in itself. I often compare the sacred name of Amitabha Buddha to a multivitamin. With a multivitamin, your body gets all kinds of nutrients. One recitation of Amitabha Buddha's name encompasses the four all-embracing virtues and the myriad practices of the six paramitas. Patriarch Lien Chie once said, The moment you recite the Buddha's name, you bring forth all the virtues it embodies. If you hold solely to this name, you are cultivating all practices simultaneously. Without great wisdom, one will not understand, accept, or have faith in these words. Some people have this kind of misunderstanding. If one recitation of Amitabha Buddha's name encompasses the myriad practices of the six paramitas, then it is true that as long as we recite Amitabha Buddha's name, we do not need to practice the four all-embracing virtues and the six paramitas. Regarding the conditions of attaining rebirth in the western pure land through Buddha recitation, the Amitabha Sutra says, A person with insufficient virtuous roots, blessings, virtues, or causal conditions cannot be reborn in that land. We must strengthen our faith. We must first work towards chanting the Buddha's name well. It is not until we have removed our karmic hindrances and unfolded our wisdom that we can practice the other dharma methods. That is, you have to start with one and then branch out to the others. Why do we need to start with holding the name of Amitabha Buddha? It is because the sacred name embodies the meritorious virtues of the four all-embracing virtues and the myriad practices of the six paramitas. Therefore, we have to constantly chant the Buddha's name and rely on the meritorious virtues of the Buddha as our foundation. Then we can proceed to cultivate the four all-embracing virtues and the six paramitas. In this way, things will work out and you will progress with ease on the path. What a good way to practice! Even though we say we must practice the four all-embracing virtues and the six paramitas, Buddha recitation practitioners must put great emphasis on transferring the resulting merits towards rebirth in the Western Pure Land. Once reborn there, you will attain the stage of non-arising. Afterwards, you can propagate the Dharma at any location in the Ten Directions and deliver sentient beings, thereby fulfilling your Bodhi vow. Only by following this path can you call yourself a true practitioner of the Buddha recitation. What I just said are the words of past patriarchs and virtuous people. These patriarchs spoke in accordance with the meaning of the sutras. I have just rephrased them in a more understandable way without altering the meaning. Why is there a need to rephrase them? Because language always changes with the times and the meaning is expressed differently at different times. If we expounded the sutras word for word, people would not always understand. So, explanations must be adapted to the environment and to people's capacities and inclinations. But no matter how you say it, you cannot deviate from the true meaning. For instance, medical science has made remarkable advances, and thus we now have multivitamins. That allows me to compare the magnificent name of Amitabha Buddha to nutrient-rich multivitamins. Taking multivitamins is conducive to good health. Likewise, Buddha recitation enhances one's blessings and virtues, thereby nourishing one's Dharma body. Do you agree? Upholding precepts is the first step on the Mahayana path. Generally those who lack understanding always think that Mahayana practitioners should practice the Bodhisattva path in the Saha world to save sentient beings, and that seeking rebirth in the Western Pure Land is the practice of Theravada Buddhism. It is correct to say that the Buddha's teachings urge us to save sentient beings and selflessly benefit others. It is also true that only by saving sentient beings can we repay the Buddha's grace and attain Buddhahood. However you have to consider whether you have the ability to save sentient beings. If you do, then certainly you can make benefiting others the focus of your practice. I wish you no obstacles in saving sentient beings and a speedy path to Buddhahood. We are worldly people with karmic hindrances, born in this dharma-ending age, but we are fortunate enough to have encountered Buddhism and further believe in it and practice it. This is because we studied and practiced the Buddha Dharma in many past lifetimes and planted many virtuous roots. Without virtuous roots, we would not have encountered Buddhism in this life. Nevertheless, we have heavy karmic hindrances. That is why we still have not attained liberation. Even though we practiced wholesome deeds in the past, we could not avoid some evil ones, which tainted the karma of our pure practice. On the one hand, we cultivated blessings and virtues. But on the other hand, we eroded those blessings and virtues. It could also have been the case that even though we upheld the precepts, we did not cultivate blessings and wisdom, and did not build good affinities with people. Delivering sentient beings is a step-by-step process. First, you must uphold the precepts. This is the foundation. You must be able to save yourself and then practice the great bodhi path of saving all sentient beings. Following this step-by-step process offers greater assurance. It is said, in order to climb up high, you must begin from the bottom. In order to go far, you must take the first step. Otherwise, you may think that you are saving someone, but you cannot be sure. For all you know, you may be harming them. Why? The Mahaprajna Paramita Sastra states, If you try to save others without having saved yourself first, you will not succeed. Although some may present a convincing counter-argument, you must pay attention to the true words of the Buddha. In reality, those who practice Buddha recitation seek rebirth in the Pure Land for the exact purpose of pursuing the Bodhi path. When the lotus blossoms, they will see the Buddha and attain the stage of non-arising. Thereafter, they will return to this world as well as to all the lands in the Ten Directions to deliver sentient beings. Can you say this is wrong? Should we be correcting the Buddha's teachings and the teachings of the patriarchs? If you truly have the Buddha's wisdom, why would you not agree with the Buddha's words? To avoid harming sentient beings is already very difficult for us. If you are able to avoid causing harm to other sentient beings, then your observance of the precepts is pure. If you harm any sentient being, you are breaking the precepts. If you do not want to harm and vex sentient beings, you must observe the precepts impeccably. Otherwise, no matter how much effort you put into cultivating the myriad practices and delivering sentient beings, your cultivation will not be pure and complete. To become a Dharma master, start with Buddha recitation. Patriarch Ngguang often encouraged people, after taking up monastic life, if you want to become a Dharma master, you must first start with Buddha recitation. Once you can chant well, you will have the ability to be a dharma master in the future. Suppose you have not cultivated blessings and wisdom and only want to study the sutras and learn to be a dharma master, thinking that being a dharma master and sitting in this chair is very awe-inspiring. How can it be that easy? Unless you have extraordinary natural ability, a strong body and the right causes and conditions, do not waste your time and energy just earnestly recite the name of, and prostrate to, the Buddha. A single recitation of the Buddha's name brings innumerable blessings. A single prostration to the Buddha can eradicate karmic hindrances as numerous as the grains of sand in the Ganges River. If you practice this way for eight or ten years, and subsequently attain a certain level in your cultivation, then you can learn to be a Dharma master. It will not be too late. Actually, there is no need to learn you will naturally know how to give Dharma discourses and you will be able to deliver sentient beings. Therefore, you must learn everything step by step. If you do not start from the foundation and just focus on the superficial, ostentatious practices, how can you get the real benefits? I hope that as a beginner you will not be overly ambitious. Put your feet on solid ground and make an earnest effort. Monastic practitioners are often not willing to accept these teachings of Patriarch Ing-guang. They are always in a hurry to study the scriptural teachings to become a Dharma master, not knowing whether they have the capacity to do so. Nowadays, it is not only new monastics who are like this. Even their teachers have it wrong. They do not understand the natural capacity of their disciples. The teachers do not start by instructing their disciples to put time into their practice and their observance of the precepts. This is putting the cart before the horse. These are not good teachers. Even if their students want to learn, they will not succeed in their studies. What more can I say? If only Buddhist practitioners nowadays could follow the example of Venerable Master Quan Ching, in what ways? We should learn from his ascetic practices and the way he led a simple life for decades, not particularly caring about food or clothing. Whatever he ate, if it filled his stomach, it was good enough. Whatever he wore, if it protected him from the cold, it was also good enough. You want to tread the Buddhist path, but if you cannot even follow the example of this great virtuous master and cultivate ascetic practices like he did, then, how can you hope to succeed in following the example of the Buddha? This is like attending to the superficial while neglecting the essential, or never cultivating your land yet expecting a harvest. Buddha Dharma is the result of putting great effort into the cultivation of causes. A treasure tower is built from the foundation up, story by story, rather than the top down. Is that not true? Those who are new to Buddhism, Please cultivate earnestly and put in great effort. It is certain that hard work will be rewarded. Venerable Master Guan Jing never gave discourses, nor did he lecture on the sutras. But when great Dharma masters saw him, they all respectfully bowed to him. He never went to school, but many renowned professors took refuge in him with profound reverence. We know that Venerable Master Guan Jing did not lecture on the sutras, Yet he delivered millions of people. In contrast, some dharma masters are skilled at lecturing on the sutras, but how many people have they delivered? What did Venerable Master Guan Qing rely on? He relied on the meritorious virtues arising from upholding the precepts and on the quiescence resulting from practicing meditative concentration. It is not the case that Venerable Master Guan Qing did not know the importance of expounding the sutras but he did not need to do so. Adorned with the virtues of upholding the precepts, he had all that was necessary to deliver sentient beings. As actions speak louder than words, what more would he need? If Venerable Master Guan Jing could do these things, why can we not learn from him? It is simply because of our laziness. Can laziness help you succeed in your studies and Buddhist cultivation? To succeed, you need to be diligent. It is easy to get a response if you chant with your mind in every moment. You have to come to this retreat to chant the Buddha's name. Generally speaking, the term Nianfo refers to Buddha recitation, not chanting orally. However, the Pure Land method emphasizes the practice of oral recitation which was expounded by the Buddha. Oral recitation is very important you must realize that although Buddha recitation is important, you should not disregard oral recitation. Ancient people had higher capacity to study and practice the Dharma than people nowadays. Therefore, they could certainly practice true-mark Buddha recitation. But now, in this Dharma-ending age, most people's natural capacity does not measure up to that of those in the past. Therefore, they cannot set aside oral recitation. If you practice oral recitation continuously until you overcome your attachments then you can reach the level of true mark recitation. The Chinese character for chanting is made up of two parts, present moment and mind. Ordinary people assume that chanting is done orally so they add the part that means mouth to the word chanting. This is like pinning an extra tail to the donkey. When we practice oral recitation we of course use our mouths but we should definitely not forget to use our minds what do i mean by using your mind it is the mind in the present moment this very second is the present moment and when the next one comes this one will become the past like a clock that ticks second by second in an orderly fashion our mind should also continuously hold to the buddha's name one recitation after another Amitabha, Amitabha. Once a single chant has passed, do not pay any more attention to it. Just move on to the next one and focus your mind on that very moment of chanting. If you do not use your mind to chant, you will be groggy and unfocused. In that case, how can you accumulate the meritorious virtues necessary for rebirth in the Western Pure Land? When we chant the name of the Buddha, we are relying on the power of another. We are relying on the power of Amitabha Buddha's greatly compassionate vows. Nevertheless, we really must not forget to inject the power of our own sincerity and respect. For instance, each time we chant the Buddha's name, does the recitation come from our mind? How do we know if we are using our mind or not? How do we know if we are putting our mind and heart into it? If when you chant the Buddha's name you hear each syllable distinctly, then you are using your mind. But if the sound produced by your mouth is not heard by your mind, then you are not using your mind. This is not to say that your mind is not present, it is just that you are not using your mind and it has wandered off. Everybody, pay attention to this. This is the core of the practice. If you do not use your mind in every moment of your Buddha recitation, it is as Venerable Master Han Shan said, The mouth is chanting while the mind is drifting. The throat is hurting, but the effect is missing. If you do not hear your own chanting, then your mind is unfocused. On the other hand, if you can hear it distinctly with full awareness, then your mind is present. Diligently practice what I have just pointed out and you will gradually do away with your scattered mindedness until it is all gone. We must make steady progress in our practice. Do not be distracted and befuddled all the time. If you use your mind in every moment of your Buddha recitation, then the more you chant, the more joyous you will be and the purer your mind will become. You will not find it hard and tiring at all. If you do, it is because you have deluded thoughts while you are practicing. If you have excessive deluded thoughts, of course you will find the practice hard and tiring. The fatigue drives you to take a rest, and when you wake up feeling full of energy, you will start having deluded thoughts again. If one practices in this way, constantly in a sleepy or deluded state of mind, one is aimlessly wasting one's life. How can this kind of person be called a Buddha recitation practitioner? The word Buddha means the awakened one. When we chant the name of the Buddha, we must be in an awakened state of mind at all times, using our mind to chant in every moment, hearing each recitation distinctly, and letting our mind dwell on this sacred name. If you practice in this way, you will feel only joy and freedom. If you can calm your mind and re-identify with your Buddha nature, you will attain Dharma joy, with which no worldly joy can compare. If you can chant with your mind in every moment of your Buddha recitation, and chant at least 100,000 recitations a day, you will certainly succeed in your cultivation. During this seven-day chanting retreat, all you need to do is to keep chanting the name of Amitabha Buddha. For beginners, it is impossible to chant 100,000 recitations in a day. It is difficult enough to chant 40 or 50,000 times in a day. If I really ask you to chant 100,000 times a day and if your practice is not up to that level, you may end up with chest pain. You cannot even reach the number with silent recitation, much less chanting out loud. This is speaking from experience. You should listen to the experienced who have been through it before and you will understand, otherwise, how would you know? You may attempt to chant 100,000 times a day as others have done, however, it is likely that you will do it for one day and become too exhausted to continue the next day. Sentient or insentient, all phenomena undergo change in every instant. Speaking of the mind, does it really exist? In the end, the mind does not exist. Why do we say that? It is because, regardless of whether something is sentient or not, it goes through the stages of arising, abiding, changing, and extinguishing. In reality, everything in existence undergoes change in every instant. This process never ceases for an instant. For example, a table is constantly undergoing change and gradually passing into extinction. If it does not change, it would never deteriorate. The wood should never rot and the colour should never fade. But the truth of the matter is mountains, rivers, the earth itself and all insentient things go through the phases of formation, existence, deterioration and extinction, unceasingly passing through these transformations. Human beings are exactly the same. We go through birth, aging, sickness, and death. Our thoughts pass into extinction even more rapidly and subtly. The mind undergoes change faster than material things, but to what degree? The sutras and sastras say there are ninety instants in one flick of a finger, and within each instant there are nine hundred thoughts which arise and pass into extinction. How fast is this? Let me explain with an example. With a paper cutter, you can cut through a thousand pieces of paper in one swipe of the blade. The time it takes to slice through a slice of paper is an instant, but this example does not accurately depict the duration of an instant. Or, take carbon paper. When you print on the top piece of paper, the image is imprinted onto the next page at the same time. Now, although we say that the printing and copying happen at the same time, one occurs before the other, between which exists an instant. The passing of such a short interval of time cannot be perceived with our naked eyes. Only with the Buddha eye can it be perceived. Modern science has not yet reached this level of precision. We know that the speed of electric waves is so fast that we are able to chat live when we phone someone in the United States, but science has its limitations. It cannot compare to the absolute clarity and omniscience of the Buddha. I hope that we all practice diligently and soon open our Buddha eyes. Then there will be nothing that we cannot perceive or understand. Practice According to the Ultimate Truth You must all realize that the pleasure derived from the five desires of the secular world is the root cause of suffering. If you do not understand this point and remain lost in a life of indulgence in wealth, lust, fame, food, and sleep, then there is no way to liberate yourself. If you do not deeply understand that the pleasures of the world ultimately result in suffering, then you are still a truly ordinary person and not a true disciple of the Buddha. IF YOU DO NOT REALIZE THAT THE PLEASURES OF THE WORLD ARE INDEED SUFFERING, HOW CAN YOU PERCEIVE THE ILLUSION FOR WHAT IT IS AND BE ABLE TO LET GO? WITHOUT DOING SO, HOW CAN YOU ATTAIN TRUE FREEDOM AND BE AT EASE? ARE MUNDANE AFFECTIONS AND ENJOYMENTS TRULY SWEET AND PLEASANT? YOU MUST REALIZE THAT THE FIVE DESIRES ARE LIKE BRINE, THE MORE YOU DRINK, THE THIRSTIER YOU GET. You must come to the realization that you are lost and quickly get back on the right track. Otherwise, drowning in the sea of suffering, when will you be able to reach the other shore? All of you must completely cut off mundane affections. The Buddha Dharma transcends secular sentiments. It teaches us to liberate ourselves from the cycle of birth and death. This is the key. You must come to this realization on your own. We cannot force people to practice Buddhism. They must willingly initiate their own cultivation. If you still want to talk about secular sentiments and worldly affairs, then you will remain an ordinary human being. From the perspective of the conventional truth of the Dharma, we still talk about maintaining secular relationships. However, once we start practicing the transcendental Dharma, we can no longer cultivate according to the conventional truth and secular sentiments. Only by following the ultimate truth can one achieve liberation. It is said, without following the ultimate truth, you cannot attain nirvana and liberation. If you can practice this way, you will succeed in your cultivation, after which you can return to the secular world to deliver sentient beings. This is what is meant by the saying, the Buddha Dharma is to be found in the secular world. Apart from the world, there is no enlightenment. Seeking Bodhi elsewhere is as futile as looking for horns on a rabbit. If you want to deliver sentient beings, you must wait until you have succeeded in your cultivation, ended the cycle of birth and death, and perfected your blessings and wisdom. At that point, you can deliver all sentient beings. Otherwise, if you are lost and confused and do not follow the proper sequence of cultivation, then the more you practice, the further down the wrong path you will be. In this case, how could you liberate yourself from the cycle of birth and death? To end the suffering of birth and death, I urge you to sincerely recite the name of the Buddha. Namo Amitabha Buddha